Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Good morning, everyone. I want to invite everyone to come in and find your seats. While you are doing that, I have one quick announcement for you. I want everybody to know that we actually have a podcast called Women of TBC. If you have Apple Podcasts, you can look it up, and you will be able to hear the teaching every week. Uh, usually the day of, that afternoon, you can, the, the, pod, uh, the teaching is uploaded on the podcast. If that's how you would rather listen, um, I just wanted you to know about it. That's my, my quick plug this morning. All right, we are going to, um, we're going to say our memory verse together sitting down. And I wonder if you can say it without me putting it up on the screen. It's actually the shortest one. But I'm going to put it up here. Let's say this together. For God shows no partiality. I wanted to read uh, from Luke chapter 18, something that Jesus said before we move into our, our song. So listen to these words from Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man, I covered up my text, this man went to his house justified. The one who beat his breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me, went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So let's stand up. We're going to sing a new song. It's going to be easy to catch because it's, uh, the, the tune is very simple, but the words are a prayer. This is our prayer this morning. Um, the song is called, Lord, Have Mercy. And it's a beautiful uh, representation to me of Romans 2 and Romans 3. So let's sing this together.
Love that line, sons of disgrace are righteous made. It's just really, really meaningful. All right, I'm going to invite our speaker up uh, today. Katie McRae is going to be speaking to us, and to know Katie is to love her. She is um, so brave to do this, <laughs> and I'm so thankful that she agreed to. You're going to be blessed by what she has to say to us today. So I'm going to pray for Katie, and then we're going to turn it over to her. God, we are so thankful that you've had mercy on us, sinners, saved by grace. And we are just so humbled by that, God. And we just want to glorify your name and praise you together and rest in you together. And so I'm asking you to, uh, right now to help us, to help us put aside the concerns of the day and to listen uh, to what you have to teach us through your servant, Katie. I want to pray for Katie and pray that you would give her wisdom and confidence and what you've put on our heart. And God, would you speak to us through her? And we love you and thank you for all you will teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Ooh, it looks a little different up here than I thought it was going to look. Yesterday when you practice, it's like empty tables, and you're like, yes, and yes. But this is a lot different. <laughs> oh, the um, clicker? I need that. That's okay. <laughs> All right. Well, um, a little bit nervous. I've never spoken here in front of the women of TBC like this before. 
So a little bit nervous this morning, but I'm excited too. It's a new challenge. Um, want to? So I'm Katie McRae, and this is my family here. Um, don't th- aren't, don't they look like a great group? They really do. They're my favorite. Um, so my my husband is there. He you probably have seen us around TBC. Um, my husband Ken does security here, and he's also a detective at Temple PD. And I used to work at Temple Bible Church in children's ministry, but transitioned over to um, Foster Love Bell County, where I work with the foster community here locally. And these are our kids. So Liam, 16, um, he has a broken leg right now, and he's at home recovering from that, but he's doing great. Um, And he does madrigal and football and all the things. He's a very busy boy. And our daughter Olivia is 14. She's a songstress, theatric all the things, she loves the stage. Olivia, or Lucy is a bassoonist. I love telling people that because they're like, a bassoonist? Yes, she plays the bassoon and the clarinet and loves it. And then our little one, Elizabeth there, is five and is in kindergarten and she is everybody's favorite person in our house for sure. She tells everybody what to do, it's great. (laughs) If you're the little one, you probably understand in your family. And then there's Molly Blue. So Molly, we got Molly, our new puppy, after this family photo was taken. So I had to include her because my, my daughter was, I, my daughter came over to me as I was typing this out and she's like, well, but Molly's not in the picture. So I had to include her. And she's actually a, a toot. Let me tell you about Molly. She's got like this stubborn streak in her where she lays in the yard and acts like she doesn't hear me or... Actually, she does act like she hears me. She kind of looks at me like, what are you going to do about it? (laughs) But what she doesn't realize is that I have a strong-willed child already, so I am prepared for this. (laughs) Okay, so super humbled to be with with you here today. Romans, really all of Romans, Romans 2, all of Romans, is just really deeply convicting for me. Our author, Paul, does a very thorough job convincing us of our sin and then helping us to face our conviction and challenging us to hope in something way better than all the things that we put our hope in, Um, marriage, motherhood, work. I'm sure many of you know what I'm talking about. When I knew I was going to be talking about this, I had to take a great big deep breath because I knew I'd have to turn the mirror in on myself again Um, I had to look at my own sin and would have to acknowledge the spirit of judgment inside me. Heavy stuff, but necessary for us to do. And like how everything goes in the Bible, I just want to rewind a little bit to Romans 1. Rebecca did a great job illustrating for us Paul's message that without the atonement of Jesus Christ, the wrath of God rested upon those who were guilty of sin. So I'm a really visual person. In fact, if you tell me a story, I'm likely like trying to visualize it in my head, start to end. And the way I always see Romans is that Paul is like speaking to a big group of people. And I know that many of you are like, but Katie, it's a letter. I get it. But in my mind, it's a movie. (laughs) And so, and, and I have the microphone, so you have to listen. Okay, so here's what I imagine in my mind. That's good, right? So that's the late Billy Graham, and he's going to play the part of Apostle Paul in the Romans movie that plays in my head. So Paul is indicting the the people in this crowd for their sinful behavior, 
They, and he even says to the Gentiles, you're without excuse. God's blueprint for life is revealed to them in the natural world. He's telling them, you should know better. So the Jewish people are standing there, right? And they're like, uh-huh. I told you so. Mm-hmm. I'm just here for the comments, that guy. <laughs> They're loving this, right? They're like, yep, exactly what our guy Paul said. And I want you to put yourself in the place of these Jewish people. They were the righteous ones, right? They knew the law and went to all kinds of extremes to follow it. They were God's special people, descendants of Abraham himself. So they are hearing this, and they're probably thinking, finally, this guy Paul gets us. Tell them, Paul, they have it coming to them. But what happens next, no one's expecting. So let's look at this together. We're going to read from the message today. And I chose the message because of all the dramatic flair in it. <clears throat> it's not a direct translation of the original text, but it's paraphrased by Eugene Peterson, and it's a great commentary, also the drama I like. So here we go. All right. Those people are on a dark spiral downward. But if you think that leaves you on the high ground where you can point fingers, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. <laughs> Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what you've done. You, think, you didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your finger at others, you would distract God from seeing all your misdoings and from coming down on you hard? Or did you think that because he's such a nice God, he'd let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into radical life change. Am I on slide three? Okay. You're not getting, oh, getting by with anything. I love that. You are not getting by with anything. Every refusal and avoidance of God adds fuel to the fire. The day is coming when it's going to blaze hot and high. God's fiery and righteous judgment. Make no mistake. In the end, you'll get what's coming to you. Real life for those who work on God's side, but to those who insist on getting their own way and take the path of least resistance, fire. I like that part. <laughs> if you go against the grain, you get splinters. Regardless of which neighborhood you're from, did I not go? All right, let me go back. One more, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Regardless of what neighborhood you are from, what your parents taught you, what schools you attended, but if you embrace the way God does things, there are wonderful payoffs. Again, without regard to where you are from or how you were brought up, being a Jew won't give you an automatic stamp of approval. God pays no attention to what others say or what you think about you, he makes up his own mind. Whew, it's good. End scene. Okay. <laughs> so he says these words, right? And the Jews, 
and the Gentiles are like this. Wait, what? <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> so you can see the point, right? Where we're going with this. Much to their surprise, Paul does not commend them for their work, but he condemns them. Their holier-than-thou attitudes were self-righteous, were self-righteous, and all the status, ancestry, and all the work they did, it just didn't matter. Their hardened hearts had made them feel superior, and Paul is calling them out for that very sin. The Jews' self-righteousness is the same as the unrighteousness of the Gentile. It turns out we're all sinners that fall short of the glory of God. And I know it's hard for us to get our minds around this. We look like a pretty good group, right? I mean, most of the women in this room are charitable, kind. We follow the law. Well, most of you. I know some things. <laughs> yeah, you laugh. I know who's laughing out there. But that's my point. We know what's right, but underneath it all, we fall short, and sin is still sin. The Jewish people aren't convinced they need a Savior. I didn't know I needed a Savior because I wasn't convinced of my sin. I was a good person. I lived a good life. I went to church. So let's go back to the year 2013. We're a much smaller group then, <laughs> my family. I was roughly 34 years old. Ken and I had been married about 12 years, and I had three kids under six years old. Whew, man, those were really hard days. I just like got hot thinking about it. I was going places at a corporate bank that I had worked for for about 16 years, and I had just received a big promotion where I traveled most of the time. And little did I know, I was really traveling down a very dangerous road of sinful behavior that would lead to the destruction of my marriage and the ruin of my family. So that picture I showed you at the very beginning almost never happened. This is where the story would have stopped. I had waited a super long time for this step up the big proverbial corporate ladder. My work was what defined me. Actually, my need to people please and to be accepted among this mostly large group of men had become an obsession. This is where my hope was invested. If I could just do a little more, if I could just do a little better, all would be well. I had been assigned a mentor, and this mentor had been my manager for a few years prior. So when we became equals on paper, he was still kind of like a boss to me. And he checked on me all the time, um, pretty much every day. And he soon became to talk, we talked about daily life, we had dinner together, we joked, he started to open up to me about his recent divorce. So at this point, it had gone too far already. But I wasn't going to turn back. I wasn't having a sexual relationship with this person, but it was definitely an emotional relationship and it was just inappropriate. But the truth is, I had enjoyed having a secret life. My secret life involved late-night dinners and bars with other executives, 
parties to celebrate company milestones, where there was drinking and more late nights, where things just always went a little too far. Pretty soon, I didn't even know how to function at home anymore. I just longed for the next time that I got to be in my secret life. Sin had overtaken me. On the outside, I looked like I had it all together, but on the inside, I was dying. I remember being at church one Sunday around this time, and our beloved Pastor Gary was giving a sermon about sexual immorality. Here he was calling us all to the carpet like he always did. Husbands looking at pornography, repent. Women reading Fifty Shades of Grey, you're just as bad. You remember? <laughs> Those of you having sexual relationships outside your marriage or engaging in same-sex activity, you're just as sinful. He made a special note that emotional relationships with people outside of your marriage were just as sinful. So here I am sitting there just feeling like a total fraud, right? Because even if I didn't acknowledge it, I was like willfully blind and deaf to the depth of just how bad it was. I was like the Jew and Gentile. I was self-righteous and unrighteous all at the same time. Here I sat, the perfect wife, the perfect mom, the perfect employee, daughter, friend, all the things. And I looked nice. I came to church every Sunday. No one would suspect me, the professed Christian, of being anything less than, well, perfect. A good Christian self-righteous and unrighteous all at the same time. So this good Christian dealing with sin, flooding her body like a tidal wave, hearing Satan's sweet whispers of, you do you. No one will ever know. And it could be easier on your own. It just had completely overtaken what I know it was true. And I knew that what I was doing was wrong. And even worse, I chose to ignore what I knew was true. I knew better than to have an emotional relationship with a person outside of my marriage and to get this close to walking away from the husband and kids that were given to me by God himself. I knew better than to find my acceptance and my identity in my works and myself and others. Bottomless pits of despair. I was searching for something that just would never be fulfilled. I was going through the motions of my life, focused on what I could do and never, ever what had already been done for me. But God, so this movie is getting better. In a, move, in, a, in a hotel one evening at another party where I didn't belong, feeling exhausted from the life I was living, hurting spiritually, hurting mentally, hurting emotionally, physically starving, feeling so numb to it all and just questioning like, who even am I? How did I get here? What happened? I had this strong feeling like a cross between a whisper and a thunder come over me at the same time. I know that's very dramatic to try to understand, but that's exactly what it was. And I just heard these words, you don't belong here anymore. And I've never felt God in that way in my life ever before and never since. And I would like to tell you that I left the room and never came back but like most sin struggles, it didn't work like that. I did leave the hotel that night and later confessed to my husband what was going on. And over the next year, God kept pursuing me in his word, through his people, his provision. He made my escape from the secret life that was killing me possible. 
But I needed to take baby steps to learn to trust him. I ended up leaving this job that meant so much to me and taking away the title and the money and the never-ending treadmill of keep going, work harder began to slowly fade away. The real question I needed to be asking wasn't, who even am I? I needed to be asking, who even is he? And why do I need him? Paul answers this question. We need Jesus because we all fall short, and none of us, those who know better and those who may not, are exempt from that. Going to church, being good, following a religion does not make us exempt from needing a savior any less than the person struggling in open sin that may be sitting right next to you today. Being convinced of my sin has changed my posture. He has given me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that wants to understand. When I see a person struggling with addiction or same-sex attraction, relationship issues, all those things, generally the first thing I think is, me too. That could have been me. That was me. And I know what that's like. But for the grace of God, go I. So you couldn't get through it without tears, right? <laughs> Thanks, Maddie. <laughs> the conviction that I had to be convinced of has changed my life. God has redeemed my life in so many ways. In these years since my great unraveling, God has given Ken and I a path to reconciliation. We were able to forgive each other for so many hurts that we have been carrying around. God has really shown me so much about myself and has pushed me to trust him in new ways. He's created a stir in me that continues to just be curious about things. I want to know how truth can be shared through all of that. He has provided me with deep friendships and mentors that have continued to sharpen and challenge me in my thinking. He has provided new work for me to do that pushes me to die to myself and continues to teach me to rely on him and him alone. And that big career was not wasted. He used everything. So much of what I learned then, I am using on the mission field today in my work at Foster Love. So praise God for all of that. Even this testimony I share today has been years in the making. God has set me on a path to share these hard things with you today. What if we all did that? Like, what if we all were to share the hard things we're not supposed to admit to with everyone in this room? How could that change our relationship with other sinners if we were honest with each other? Humbly, I stand before you answering this question like the Jews and Gentiles must have been doing in this letter. Who even am I? How can we dare even think of looking down on another person without realizing how quickly sin can take us all down? Idolatry, sexual immorality, envy, greed, depravity, strife, deceit, the list goes on and on, and I am guilty of them all. So who are we? We are sinners that need a savior, and that savior is Jesus, and he is our only hope. So today, I will leave you with three questions that I would like to ask you to ask God to reveal. 
Are you convinced of your sin? I think this is a legit question, right? Because sometimes we can kind of, well, you know, I'm not that bad. I haven't killed anybody this year, you know? But that's us putting all that sin in order. Like somehow it's better in one sin than it is in another. And the truth is it's all sin. Sin is sin. So are you convinced of your sin? If you are thinking right now, I'm pretty good overall, you may not be completely convinced that you need a Savior. The next question, what people tend to bring out that holier-than-thou in you? And how might your sin struggles be similar or different to theirs? This is, it, it's, hard, it's a hard thing to do. Like, think about that, guys. It's, it, it'll change you. And then the, the last one is, what hard things in your testimony are you not sharing because you are worried about how it might look to others? Trust me, all. So it's been 10 years since all this happened in my life, and I have told several people in this room my story, and almost every time I share, I hear the same thing. Me too. I've been through that. I, I've, I face something similar. I have a family member who's walking through this right now. It's everywhere, <laughs> I promise. You can feel safe to share those things um, out there, and, and it will change your relationship with, with other sinners. And after we get done, if you have anything that you want to, uh, you know, confess or just want to talk about, I'm, I'm always here, and the women at your tables are, would be a good place to go to talk through some of that stuff with also. All right, so let's pray. You guys ready? Father God, we are so grateful for a God that is just, for a God that doesn't pick and choose who will be accountable for their sin, but a God who has given us all a savior that we can put our hope in and can trust. Help us to see, Father, that we need you. Help us to see, Father, that we can't earn it. Help us to feel convicted when we begin to feel like you are, these people are the good ones and, and we're the bad ones and all of that, Father. Just try to help us see that. Help us to talk about the hard things we're holding back because we don't want, we want to look like we have it all together. Father, it is in you and only you that we can look to as the Holy One and never ourselves. We love you, Lord. Amen. Katie. Hey. All right. I encourage you to come and, and give Katie a hug before you leave today. And I hope you have a great week in the Word.